My scripture this morning is taken from the gospel, I mean not gospel, the book of Isaiah, which might as well be the gospel of Isaiah, but uh, we're, we're not skipping pieces. This just happens to be the lectionary text for this morning, which is 56 verse 1, and then it goes over to verse 6, 6 through 8. I'd encourage you to read the rest if you'd like to, but for today's purposes, that's where we are. Thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. And the foreigners, because he talks a little bit about this in between verses 2 through 5, who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it, and hold fast my covenant... These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Thus says the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel. I will gather others to them because beside those already gathered. May God bless their the reading of God's Holy Scripture. Amen. When I was in seminary, uh, we were asked specifically to find passages of Scripture that um, define what it is that we believe and, and how it's going to guide us in our calling. When I, at the same time I was in that class, I was in yet another one of my Hebrew Bible classes. And I took the opportunity of spending a lot of time on this passage of Scripture and translating it. And, and the main reason from, for me to translate it from Hebrew into English was both Jesus and Paul uh, quote this passage of Scripture. Um, and it's, it's extremely important. As I was telling my Sunday school class this morning, I feel as though this passage of Scripture is probably the most controversial Scripture and yet is paid the least amount of attention. Isaiah uh, was written in about the 6th century BCE. Uh, we know that it was written in about three different sections, so it wasn't written all at one time. It most likely was not written by just one guy by the name of Isaiah, but most likely uh, pieces of it inspired from words of Isaiah, but the words have shaped uh, the world. For millennia. To me this is the most amazing passage from the Hebrew Bible. Because it sets the record straight. <coughs> that all of humanity has a place in God's kingdom. Now of course this is not the only passage of scripture in the Hebrew Bible. That talks about including others. Even foreigners. There are a lot of negative passages of Scripture in the Hebrew Bible. For example, the book of Ezra. At a time in Israel's history when ethnic and religious purity was emphasized and marriages between Jews and Gentiles had no place in Israel. In fact, Ezra sought to dissolve these mixed marriages, as he calls it. And he said, he, he, the Ezra the priest stands up to the people and says, You have been unfaithful. You have married foreign women, adding to Israel's guilt. Now honor the Lord your God of your ancestors and do his will. 
separate yourselves from the people around you and from your foreign wives. Well, Ezra, tell me how that worked out. Uh, that was found in Ezra chapter 10, verses 10 through 11, by the way. But most scholars believe that this passage sets the record straight in terms of God's intention that are all are welcome in his house. And that really means all. When this was being written in the 6th century, Jewish exiles were making their return back to Jerusalem from Babylon. And God is said to have been gathering the outcasts of Israel. Some may call this the diaspora as they returned to their homeland. The exiles had been gone for many decades. And now that they were returning, they, they were viewed as outcasts by those who had remained in the homeland. One of the most powerful statements Isaiah makes is this in verse 8. Thus says the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel. I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. Church. I, I feel like I'm going to get on a soapbox. And I think it's partly because I'm a little tired. But I want to tell you a little bit about yesterday. Last Friday night. I stayed up cooking barbecue because I'm continuing to work on my thesis, and part of my thesis is finding ways of Oklahoma congregations working together to help Oklahoma congregations, Christian churches, disciples of Christ, sharing resources. And I was, I was up all night Friday cooking barbecue and then got up at 5.30 to, uh, uh, to come to the men's breakfast, which was great. And then we finished up everything, loaded up, headed to Duncan to go meet the Southwest Area Churches, where I cooked more barbecue to get ready to go, where I was then met by all these churches from the Southwest Area of Oklahoma, and it became clear to me how awesome this project is for me. By the way, I'm almost done. I, I have to finish the revision this week, then it eventually goes to the reader, and then uh, I am two, no, more like five-sixths of the way done. And then it goes to the reader, and then I have a few more revisions I have to make, and then I present in November, and then I present to the faculty in February, and I still graduate in May. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but I was so amazed last night that I had so many different congregations and so many different people from walks of life that this passage of Scripture made sense to me for the first time in a different way. You know, we live in Oklahoma where we have the ability to recognize the differences with one another and talk about it in a loving manner. It's something that keeps us together, and we do it very uniquely compared to other places. And you can argue with people all day long, but at the end of the day, for us in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, you can argue, but at, when we come to communion, we put all of those differences aside. And we say we love you. We don't have to agree with you right now, but we love you as a child of God. And that becomes more important to us than any of the other things. The world wants to shun outcasts. God gathers them. How sad is it that we as humans always, since the dawn of time, have decided to define a group of people as outcasts. And, and we do it so that we can feel better. I mean, even in Israel's society, they were marked by other outcasts. 
even amongst their own selves, eunuchs and lepers, those that were considered unclean. Did you know that a Jewish woman was excluded from ritual activities uh, for a period of time after childbirth? Forty days after the birth of a son and only two weeks after the birth of their daughter. That was found in Leviticus chapter 12. Part of this has to do with blood because blood is, is the life-giving essence of life and it's unclean. You can't touch life-giving essences because that comes from God. So you have to separate yourself from all of the other folks. My Hebrew Bible professor uh, commonly says this was a, a time for them to get away from everyone because they had a separate place away from everyone. So it worked out pretty, uh, it, it wasn't necessarily nice, but it was, a, it was a, a, a break from the rest of the things going along. A leper, for example, was required to wear torn clothes and allow their hair to be disheveled and cover their upper lip and cry out as they're walking down the street, unclean, unclean, to warn the non-leprous people to keep their distance. That's found in Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45. And of course, people from outside the Jewish society, Gentiles, foreigners, people who had different beliefs were even considered bigger outcasts. But in verse 7, God is very clear through the prophet Isaiah when he said, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. I need you to be sure and understand that Isaiah's message specifically includes foreigners in the context of this prophetic word. This invitation goes out to all of God's children, Jews and Gentiles alike, and what is specifically required of these foreigners, you might ask? Well, it's also stated, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it, and hold fast my covenant. This covenant word, by the word, is closely related to that chesed word that we've talked about before, that covenant, that grace only extended to God to the people. From this description, you could basically narrow it down to three simple requirements. But before we get there, I, I want us to remind ourselves from our sermon two weeks ago that if I was to come up with a vision statement for us as a church, it would be not just to feed people, but to feed people. I know it sounds starting to sound cliche, but it's important that we understand the distinction of what we do. Yes, we should give people actual food to eat, but we need to give them spiritual food to survive in the world that we live in. And like we talked about last week, we can't do that without believing and having trust in God. Not just blind faith. So how do we do that? Well, for me, I'm, I'm going to summarize it into three simple ideas. Number one, you have to love God. You, you have to. That's, that's, uh, that's in the Bible. Number two, you have to serve God. 
to extend God's love and grace to others. You are the pastors of the Hesed to people. You are to serve God. And then the third part is, is that you're to keep God's covenant, to keep God's Hesed. How do you do that, you might ask? To be a decent and responsible human being. This is not just an olive branch to Gentiles or foreigners. What's offered here is not some sort of associate membership. It's a full membership into the assembly of God. I want you to understand how radical Isaiah's message really is in this historical context because it totally speaks to us today. For the separation between Jews and Gentiles was perceived as very, very deep. The sentiment in theology was even prominently reflect, reflected in the architecture of the temple. Gentiles could not enter into the temple proper, but were restricted to worship in what they literally called, get ready, the court of the Gentiles that was outside the temple. But Isaiah says, I will bring my holy mountain to them. And make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Clearly, in this passage of scripture, Gentiles are the option. They are the goal that would have required for Gentiles to no longer be restricted. But instead to have access to the inner sanctums of the Holy of Holies where offerings were being brought. But in Israel's temple order... Not even the Jews could do that. Only the high priests had access to the inner sanctum. I hear these words passed around by churches a lot by radical hospitality and outreach as a definition of who God intends to include into God's kingdom. Everybody is considered a child of God. There is no exceptions to this. All really does mean all. It's not up for debate. The lines that we have drawn as humanity are ours. Not God's. The everlasting covenant is not about exclusion. It is about radical inclusion. An inclusion so radical that it counteracts opposing scripture passages like Ezra chapter 10. In our world that we live in today where it's so easy to exclude people because of our discomfort. God gives us words of comfort in the aspect of inclusion. Now I'm not going to lie to you. This is, this is not comfortable. This is why it's the most controversial passage in the entire Bible as far as I'm concerned. When you say all, we decide to tell you what that means. Even though God clearly lined it out for us. So, I mean, let me give you an example. I get asked to go to the jail. And I'm asked to pray with somebody that has done horrific, God-awful things to another human being. But they've asked me to pray with them. 
I don't really want to do that. I, I really want to draw that line in the sand and say, uh, there's probably another preacher that would be better suited for that moment. Not me. But I don't get a choice. If I love God, I serve God, and I keep God's covenant, that means that I love all of God's creation, even that person behind bars. There are times that we're at the food pantry and there are people that I know have done horrific things to humanity and, and I know that there are moments where they, they could have been or could, should have been incarcerated for whatever it is that they've done and I don't get a choice whether or not to serve them because Jesus made it very clear. I'm to feed the hungry. And they came asking for food. And I'm supposed to feed them. And feed them. Our world has too many lines that God doesn't have. It's too easy for us to start drawing lines in the sand of saying who is and who isn't a child of God. And God made it very clear to us. Not unlike the 6th century when God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, God's love is so much wider than the church could ever imagine. And frankly, I'm so, so tired of fighting the battles of what all and love really means from God. Jesus makes God's all-encompassing love more explicit in his own ministry I mean, folks, he reaches out to the outcasts. He makes them leaders and teachers. He invites tax collectors and prostitutes and lepers and foreigners and women and children as his leaders and the parts of his disciples and apostles in his ministry. It leads us to the question, what does God want from the church and from us today, but to maintain that love, to create justice for the right and the, and the loving, so that we can draw the circle ever wider. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.